Okay, so I want to talk to you this morning. You've heard of a bird's eye view, right? So when you say a bird's eye view, what, what you mean when you say that is the view that a bird has when it's flying up high. Okay, so if you're one of those people like me that you get in the middle of a city and you're lost and you don't trust your GPS, you, you kind of wish you had a bird's eye view because you could see everything, right? Uh, and so this morning, I want to talk to you about God's eye view, which is actually better than a bird's eye view, okay? So I'm just going to put that out there for you, okay? Theologically, I would insist, okay, God's view, his eye view is far better than, than a bird's eye view. And we're going to talk about what, what is it that God sees. All right, so I just want to pray before we jump in because I really believe that this, the content of today's message is something that's going to resonate with many of us. Uh, I believe God's Word is always alive and, and is, is here to speak to us today. Uh, but today, just especially, I just think that the content of what we're going to talk about is something that will resonate with a lot of us. And so I'm just going to pray that we will hear him uh, through his word today. Let's, let's pray. Lord, thank you for just the fact that we can gather uh, today together and hear the birds chirping and in the beauty of this day with the, the sun up uh, and just seeing each other, the, the smile in each other's faces uh, and then for some of us coming in with, with some baggage and some difficulty, thank you that we can come into this place and just be real about some of the difficulties we're bringing in with us too, Lord. Just, I just thank you for all of it. Thank you for the whole gamut of what it means when we gather together with a, a group of other people that are gathering to worship you. We just thank you. And I just pray, that, Lord, as we look into your word today, uh, Lord, would we just, could we hear your voice? What, what is it that you want us to hear through this text? And Lord, Many of us, we face different situations in our lives, and I just pray that you would speak into each one of our hearts and minds in a way that would encourage us to keep our eyes on you and to continue to follow you wholeheartedly. We love you, Lord. We welcome your Holy Spirit to lead and guide. In Jesus' name, amen. So God's eye view. So I just want to uh, ask you a question. How many of you have been in a lineup, okay, on the schoolyard where there's two captains and they're picking teams? Can I just get, we're going to a little bit of participation, Okay. Okay, how many of you, and you can put your hand up for this, okay? How many of you have felt the anxiety of, like, what if I'm picked last? Anybody? Okay. okay some of the, I can tell who's the athletic people in the room because you're like, I've never been picked last, okay? Uh, so I, like, was, so that, like, the view of those captains, okay, so when, when two captains get together on the schoolyard and they're ready to pick their team, okay, usually what the, the view, what they're looking for is they're looking for the best athletic ability, Okay, I have been the guy. So I'm like, I'm not super athletic, but I'm not terribly not athletic. And so I'm usually kind of middle of the road. But I remember being in one of those lines and the captains are picking and it's getting down to like me and like three or four other people. And then, and then I get picked and I'm like, oh, I'm so glad I'm not last, right? Um, probably some of you here have been the last person picked in, in that line, okay? Um, but the, I want you to just think about what, what it is that a person who's picking teams like that, what is it they're looking for? Okay, what's, what's the view that they have in mind for what they're choosing? Okay, and because we're going to read a passage of Scripture today where God is going to choose the next king to lead the people of Israel. Okay, so the, the previous king uh, was, was chosen, was doing an absolutely horrendous job, 
the, the Scriptures tell us that God actually grieved that He had made this guy Saul king. And we're going to read about David, and we're in this series, David, flawed human, holy God. So we're going to be talking about all kinds of stories of David in the next several weeks about how David is this really flawed human being, but he encounters a holy God. And in this story, we get to see where this, this King Saul was so displeasing to God, and, and God is about to choose the next king. And so, what is God's eye view? Like, we're going to look at, like, what, what was it about David that made God choose David? And throughout this whole story, what I'm going to continue to encourage you about, like, this is a little different than the schoolyard, okay? So it's not like we're going to, you know, all stand up and then God's only going to pick one and everybody else is just a loser, okay? <laughs> the reason these stories are in Scripture is because when you read a story like David, you're going to find you see yourself in this story. And I just want to encourage you to do that. Be, be okay with that. Like, you're going to see you in this story. Dixie is going to see Dixie in this story, okay? Hopefully Caleb is going to see Caleb in this story. You're going to see yourself, and you're going to be able to relate with kind of what's going on uh, and, and what God's up to. But we're looking at, like, what is God's eye view? What is it that he sees in David that's, that's so different? So before we read the passage, and it's going to be, if you want to turn in your Bible, we're going to read 1 Samuel chapter 16. We're just going to read verses 1 to 13. But I just want to give you a little bit of the, like, where we are in the story, okay? So, so in, in the Old Testament, okay, if you read through Genesis and Exodus, uh, God establishes this group of people, the Israelites, and they end up in Egypt where they're slaves for 400 years, okay? And so then God raises up Moses and Aaron, these brothers, to lead the people of Israel away from slavery, okay? And so the people of Israel, they're leaving Egypt, they're, they're leaving slavery, and God's given the people of Israel this promise. He says, I've got something better for you. You're heading into the promised land, it's flowing with milk and honey. It's beautiful. It's awesome. It's amazing. You just got to trust me. You're, you're going to go through some tough times. You're going to leave slavery, which, you know, slavery is horrible, but, but you're going to find there was some comforts in slavery because you knew where your next meal was coming from. You knew where you were going to sleep at night. And when you leave that, you're gonna ha God was telling the people, you're going to have to trust me. You might not know where you're going to sleep the next night. You might not know where your next meal is going to come from. And God did miraculous things for the people of Israel, provided for them in amazing ways as they were journeying through the wilderness towards the promised land. And then we get, so, and then after the people of Israel, so, so Moses dies, Aaron dies, this, this other leader, Joshua, dies, and the people of Israel, they're in the promised land. And if you've read the book of Judges in, in the Old Testament, it is one of the darkest books in the Bible, okay? It's ominous. It is like, there, there are some stories in Judges where you're like, these people are crazy, Okay? And, and you should feel that. The reason the stories are written that way is to show you one of the themes in Judges is it says that the people did whatever was right in their own eyes. So when, when human beings get together and they just throw out God's law, God's ways, and they do whatever seems right to them, chaos erupts. It's, it's, it's insane. The book of Judges illustrates that really well. Some of the, the heroes in the book of Judges are the most flawed people you will encounter, okay? So, so we go through the, the story, the season of the Judges, and then God raises up this, this incredible prophet. His name is Samuel, okay? And so Samuel, if you remember him from, from the Old Testament, he's this, when we meet Samuel, he's a little boy who his mom had like, when he was three, between three and five years old, she brought him to the temple and she just dedicated him to God. She was like, because his birth story was a miracle, we're not going to get into that, but she dedicated him to God. And just left him in the temple. He was raised by the, the priest. 
Some of you guys have kids, and you're like, I wish I could have done that. <laughs> I, I just, you may, <laughs> well, probably have people next to you come in and bring in their kids and be like, hey, can you raise them at the church at TC, right? <laughs> okay, so that's kind of like Samuel, okay? So, and, and Samuel, this was during a time when there was like God's word was rare. People were not being spoken to by God. The, the head dude in that day, his name was Eli, and he was pretty wayward. Um, and Samuel is this little boy who has this encounter with God where he actually hears God's voice. And you know what Samuel's first job is? Like his first job, he's, this, he's probably like 12, 13 when this happens. God tells Samuel, I want you to go to Eli, the top dog at the time, the most spiritual man in Israel, and tell him that I'm going to punish him. So Samuel's like 12 years old, and that's what he's got to do, okay? So he's got to go to the guy that's like the top dog in the day and correct him, okay? So Samuel has this reputation. He's, he's this incredible prophet of God, and the scriptures tell us none of his words ever fell to the ground. Everything he said came to pass, always, okay? And so he leads Israel for decades, but then Samuel's sons are, like, corrupt, okay? So the stuff that Samuel's sons end up doing... They're, they're taking advantage of women, they're greedy, they're selfish. And so the people of Israel, they're like, Samuel, we, we like you, you're great. Like, everything you've ever done is good. We don't actually hear of anything in Samuel's life that he does that's wrong. The scriptures don't point that out, other than that his sons turned out kind of messed up, okay? And so the people of Israel, they come to Samuel, and they're like, Samuel, like, you, you've got to give us a king. We want to be like, like all the other nations around, they have a king that rules over them. It's not just this prophet that hears from God and tells them what to do. They have a king. And Samuel takes this personally. He's like, man, the people of Israel, they're rejecting me. And God says to Samuel, and you can go read about this in First and Second Samuel. He says to Samuel, he says, Samuel, the people are not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. So give them a king. Warn them. When they get a king, it's going to go bad. But, but give them what they're asking for. So Samuel does. He goes out. He anoints uh, Saul to be king over Israel. Okay, and that goes well for a little while, but then Saul disobeys God, he messes up in a big way, and the scriptures tell us God is grieved that he had made Saul king. Okay, and this is, this is where we're picking up the story. So then, so then God gives instructions to Samuel, and you're, we're going to read about it in this, this text here, where he says, Samuel, I want you to go, and I want you to anoint the next king of my people. And so Samuel, Samuel's going to get, you're going to see this in the story, Samuel gets let in on, on God's eye view. And it's different than what Samuel would think. Even though Samuel is this person, like he has walked closely with God his entire life. Nothing that he's ever said has fallen to the ground. He's, everything he speaks comes to pass. He knows God. He's intimately connected with God. And God sends him. He says, Samuel, you're going to go anoint the next king. And Samuel has this certain idea of who God might choose. And God's about to blow Samuel's mind. The way God chooses, what he sees is so different than what humans see when they look for great leaders, when they look for people that are going to be successful. And this, this is where we're picking up the story. So 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, and just catch this too. It's kind of interesting. Some of the instructions God gives to Samuel, I'm like, I didn't think God would say something quite like that. So Samuel's a little bit afraid, okay, because he's already, in a, he's, he's anointed a king over Israel. And when there's a king, back in those days, a king was like all-powerful, okay? 
if, if a king didn't like what Gary, Maximchuk over here, had to say, he could kill Gary and nobody could ask questions about it, okay? That was just the way that kings could operate in those days. It wasn't like, you know, somebody would come and bring, bring the king to court for what he did to Gary. King does something, that's the way that it is. And so Samuel knows this, okay? So, so God tells Samuel, way to go anoint the next king. And he's shaking in his boots a little bit. He's, he's afraid. How can I go? He says, if Saul hears it, he will kill me. And I just like, think it's interesting how the Lord responds. He says, and the Lord said, take a heifer or a cow with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. So God instructs Samuel to just be a little bit sneaky. He says, well, go into Bethlehem where, you, where you're going and where you're going to find one of the sons of, of Jesse and, and bring a cow and offer a sacrifice. And then everybody's going to make a big deal about the sacrifice and Saul won't even know you're there to anoint the next king. He kind of lets him go in there and be a little, uh, a little sneaky with what he, was, what he was doing, but he was totally honest, right? Just makes me think of uh, the words of Jesus about being wise as a serpent, innocent as a dove. And you shall anoint for me him, who I, him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And that's going to be important. The people are terrified. When Samuel arrives on the scene, they're like, what are you here for? Okay? And it reminds me, and this has happened to me a lot since I've been a pastor. There'll be like many times I'll ask somebody, hey, I need to talk to you. And like 99% of the time, people are like, what did I do? Like, what? And I'm like, I didn't even, like, I'm like, do I come across that way? Like, I'm like out to get you in some way. Like, usually when I ask somebody to talk, it's like, the first thought is like, what, like, you're, you're I'm, I did something wrong. I'm in trouble, right? And so Samuel's like, the, the, the men of the town, they're terrified. They're like, why are you here in Bethlehem? Okay. Verse six, when, when they came, so listen to how Samuel interacts with Jesse's sons. When they came, the sons of Jesse, he looked on Eliab and he thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send me, send and get him, for, he, for we will not sit down until he comes here. And he sent and he brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So in this story, God sees David. Okay, so the, the big idea with this is that God, the creator of the universe, he sees David. He sees him. And what, what we see in this story is that no one else seemed to see David. So when Samuel came to town, you've got all the elders, they rush over and they're afraid and they're like, wow, this, the big prophet, the big name in Israel, the powerful man, he's in town, what's going on? And they have this conversation with him. 
And then Samuel makes his intentions clear, and he, he asks Jesse. He goes to Jesse, who was probably a respected man in the town. He says, I want you to bring your sons before me, and I'm going to anoint one of them. So Jesse's all excited, and, and, and he's got eight sons, right? But he's got one that he's like, oh, he's just like this little runt, takes care of the sheep. I won't call him. So he calls together his seven sons, who he thinks like, man, these guys, they've got it. Like, they're strong. They're, they're, they, they're like leadership material. They look like leader. They have the appearance of it. Like maybe one of my sons is going to be the next king. Maybe one of my sons is going to do something important, right? So who knows what's going through his mind. But he calls seven of his sons, and he leaves David out for whatever reason. But, but that doesn't take away from the fact, like God sees David. And so the question that this passage forces us to ask is, like, what is it that God sees in David? You know, it's interesting, I've, I think I've made it clear, Samuel is a really big name in Israel. He's, he's big time. He's the guy that anointed Saul. He's the guy that led Israel for decades before there was a king. He's the guy that actually brought Israel together and gave them a fighting chance of being a unified nation amongst a massive group of people and kingdoms and nations all around them that wanted to destroy them. Samuel's the guy that, like, brought it all together. He united the kingdom. He's, like, he's big time. So he comes to town. And and you know what's interesting is that when, when people like that come to town, when people that have power and influence come to, to, to a city, like we've seen this all the time. Everybody wants to be near those people, right? You ever notice that? Like when, when somebody who's big time is, is, is in the midst, uh, you've got like everybody just kind of clamoring to be close to them. I remember one time uh, there was a speaker that came to the school I went to, a Bible school I went to, and he was a pretty big name, big, big name in Canada. Uh, and and he, some, I had listened to his podcast, and I was just like really ministered to by this guy, and he was there in person, and, and so, you know, I got to hear him speak, and it was really cool, and, and then at the end of the service, they, they gave everybody an opportunity to meet him, and so there was this massive lineup, right, and, and I was like, I don't, I don't like, like being a fangirl, you know what a fangirl is, okay, <laughs> I was like, I don't want to be a fangirl, but I was like, this guy's pretty cool, like, I'll go, go shake his hand, so, so there's this huge lineup, and everybody, whenever they would get close to him, like, they would, like, stand beside him, and then they'd pass the camera to somebody, and they'd get their picture with them so they could share it on social media, right? And it was, like, this super cool moment. Uh, and so, anyways, I waited for, I don't know, 20 minutes or so, and uh, the group ahead of me, so they, like, they, they got to him, and, and I knew the guy that was ahead of me. He was there with his team. He was, like, leader of a teen challenge on the, on the East Coast. He was like, Nathan, would you take a picture of, of us with him? And I was like, sure. So, so they all get in, like, there, and they're, like, standing there, and, and I take the picture, and then he comes over, so they're done shaking this guy's hand. Guy comes over to me, he's like, thanks, man, takes the phone from me, and then the, the line just moves up, right? And I'm like off to the side, like with this group, and I'm like, and I look, and it was this huge line, I'm like, no, not doing it again, right? <laughs> and, and so like, there was a part of me that like, I, like, I felt that. You, you get around somebody that has a reputation, you're like, you just like, you want to shake their hand or be close to them. But you know what's interesting about David? Like, where's, where's David? He's, he's off tending sheep. He's, he's not clamoring to get near Samuel. You know, when I first read this passage, I had this, I had this thought. I was like, I'll bet you David wanted to be close to Samuel, but his dad and his brothers wouldn't let him. I actually had this image of like, David gets in this big fight with, with his brothers, and they're like, oh, you're just, the, you're just the guy tending the sheep. You're just this youngster. You know, your job's not that important. You go off. And I had this image of David being all sad and dejected, and he goes off to, like, tend the sheep. And then I had this image when, when David gets called by Samuel. 
I had this view of David like walking back with this like, because I put myself in there, right, with this smile like, huh? Called me, right? Walks by all the brothers, right? And he like gets anointed. And, and I just had this picture of him like the whole time being like, you guys thought I was nothing, but here Samuel called me. But you know what? I, the more I read the story, the more I was like, I don't think that's what was going on in David at all. You know what I think was going on in David? We read it. We read Psalm 23. He's, he's off in the wilderness. He's tending sheep, a job that everybody thought was just insignificant, and he's kind of brushed off. And David is fascinated with God. So you've got this big-name prophet in town. Everybody can't wait to get near him, can't wait to touch him. And David is just absolutely fascinated with God. That's all he can think about. All he can think about is just the grandeur of God, the beauty of God. And so it's not that David didn't respect Samuel. It was like David was just absolutely taken in with God. He's off writing Psalm 23. He's tending the sheep and he's going, you know, God, everybody thinks this job is insignificant, but, but you, this is what you've given me. So I'm going to do it with all my heart. I'm going to take care of these sheep like they're people. I'm going to take care of them like they're my children. And, and, and he just like, and, and if you read the Psalms, you see it over and over again. David, he looks at nature and he sees God. Everywhere he goes, he sees God. And he's just absolutely fascinated and taken in with the reality of who God is. I was convicted reading this, this story because I think most of us can relate with this like desire to get close to that really special person. I'll tell you one more story. So a couple weeks ago, uh, my favorite author and preacher, Tim Keller, died. And you've, you've heard me mention Tim Keller many times. Um, he was 72. He, he lost a three-year battle with cancer. And so he got, he got uh, pancreatic cancer in 2020. And two weeks ago, he died. He died in, in peace, by the way. His last words are beautiful. It was incredible. Uh, but probably 10, 15 years ago, I had a chance to go to New York City. And it was like, I, was, I just couldn't help it. I was like, I want to go to Tim Keller's church, right? And so I did. I went and visited Tim Keller's church. But before I went, I called the church office to see, hey, is Tim Keller at this location? Because by this point, he had kind of multiple locations throughout New York. And the secretary was like, we don't actually release that information. We don't tell people where Tim Keller's going to be. Because then, like, all the people just show up. And I was like, I, I get that, right? But... Um, but I'm from Canada, and, like, he's had a big impact in my life. And, like, it's a big deal. I'm coming to New York City. Like, you know, can you tell me? And she's like, sorry, sir. Like, we can't tell you. And I'm like, are you even a Christian? No, I didn't say that. Um, so I was like, okay, well, I'll just, like, chance it. Like, I'll just go to the, like, kind of main hub campus or whatever, like, right on Manhattan. And so I did. And he wasn't there. It was fine. It was like, whatever. Like, you know, Tim Keller's not there. But it was a good service. I enjoyed it. Uh, a few years later, I was asked to lead a team to New York City for a mission trip. And so... I was like, man, here's another chance. I can go to Tim Keller. I'll, go, I'll pick a different location this time. I knew they wouldn't tell me where he was going to be. So I was like, I'll pick one of the other locations, like Uptown, whatever, uh, on Manhattan. And so I actually snuck away. So I was, like, responsible for all these teens in New York City. And uh, I had some other leaders with me. I was like, you guys think you're good with the team for a little bit? Like, I'm just going to, I got somewhere to be, right? And uh, it was, anyway, so they were like, yeah, sure, it's fine. So I, like, jumped on the subway, and I got there, and Tim Keller wasn't there, right? And so I was like, come on, Tim. Like, do you know I'm coming and you're avoiding me? Like, what's going on? And so I was reflecting on this. He died a couple weeks ago. And uh, he, like, when I encountered Tim Keller, the reason that he's been so meaningful for me in my life is when I encountered his pastoral ministry, I was going through a really dark season in my journey with Jesus. Like, I was battling doubt big time. I was wrestling with whether or not I believed that the Scripture is true all the way through. 
I was wrestling with whether or not I could base my life on what God has revealed to us in His Word. And I encountered Tim Keller, and I would get to the end of like one of his books or one of his sermons, and every time I just felt like, Jesus, I trust you. Like, I trust that your Word is true. So I was reflecting on, on what happened, like me not meeting Tim Keller a couple weeks ago, and it just ties into this sermon where I was like, I didn't need to meet Tim Keller in person because what, what Tim Keller gave to me was just a deeper trust in Jesus. It was like, like Tim Keller's job, he, he's not this big time, he's not the one that's most important. He was pointing to the one that's most important. You, you know, see what I mean? It was like Tim Keller, he has this incredible ministry. He, he's, he's wise and he's a really great way of unpacking the, the truths of Scripture. And, and so it, like, it impacted me in a deep way, but like, he's pointing beyond himself. So I was reflecting on it a couple weeks ago, and I was like, you know, I was a little bit sad that, that, that he's passed, but I was like, but I'm just grateful for what God did through Tim Keller. And I realized, I'm like, you know what? It didn't matter if Tim Keller ever saw me. I mean, the reality of it was, if I, if I went up to Tim Keller at the end of the service, I'd probably be so nervous, right? And I wouldn't have, like, I probably would have said something stupid. And there's no way he'd remember me anyway, some rando, right? Like, he's met thousands of people. So, like, it wouldn't have really made a difference in my life. But you know what's made a huge difference in my life? Knowing that God sees me. And, and that was a gift that God used Tim Keller for in my life, and he's probably used other people in your life. But I, but I realized a couple weeks ago, I'm like, it's God. And I think David, we read this story, and I think that's what's going on in David's life. David is off. You've got Samuel in town, and the town is freaking out. Bethlehem's throwing a festival. They're all going nuts because, because Samuel, the big prophet, the big-time man of God, the one that everybody knows, he's in town. And David is off writing Psalm 23 in the wilderness, just just absolutely taken in with the beauty and grandeur of God. Is that what goes on in our hearts? And this is what I want to challenge us with today. Like, God, what did he see in David? And what, what goes on in our hearts that God sees? I'm going to read. So, so now we've got Samuel. So that's what David was doing. What did Samuel, what was he looking for? So these, these sons of Jesse get paraded in front of him. And, and I'm going to read to you. This is, uh, there's a little bit of creative license in here. I've, I've encouraged us, for those that are interested, to read uh, a book called Leap Over a Wall by Eugene Peterson. And Eugene Peterson walks through the life of David and just tells stories, okay? He, he takes the life of David and he relates it to our lives. Uh, and, and there's some creative license in here, but, but Eugene Peterson describes Eliab, the firstborn, okay? So, so Eliab... He's David's oldest brother, and when Samuel comes to town, that's the one Samuel zones in on. He's like, surely Eliab is going to be the next king. He, he sees Eliab, and he's this, like, you know, big-statured guy, and, and what Samuel sees is what he thinks God is looking for for the next leader, and he's about to be surprised. But just listen to, the, to Eugene Peterson's description. It's up on the screen, but it'll be really small, so it might be hard to... Oh, it's not too bad. You got your... You should bring binoculars every once in a while for these, like, long, big texts, Okay. <laughs> but I'll read it. Eliab, the eldest son and a swaggering bully, was first. His mountainous size and rough-hewn good looks commanded attention. Samuel was impressed. Who couldn't be impressed? Hulking and brutish, Eliab was used to getting his own way by sheer force of muscle. He had a black mop of hair that he never bothered to brush. His nose wandered down his face, looking, until it was almost too late for a good place to stop. He dressed in bib overalls, and he wore hobnailed boots. He never changed his socks. It mattered little whether people liked or disliked what they saw. Eliab dominated. Clearly, 
Here was a man who could get things done. Samuel, like everyone else in the community, was taken in by his appearance. But soon, Samuel's God, listen to this. This is the part I really want to emphasize. Soon, Samuel's God-trained prophetic eye penetrated the surface appearance to Eliab's interior. There, he didn't see much to write home about. No king material within. So, obviously, there's creative license here. Um, In the book, Eugene Peterson talks about growing up, his mom would tell the stories of David, and she would just elaborate all these details. And he said when he got older and started reading the scriptures, he was surprised at how much the scripture left out. He was like, what? Right? She would just, like, tell these elaborate parts. But but what's hit, what, what she hit on here is right within the Scripture. So that last line, so, so Samuel was, the Scriptures tell us that, he was attracted to Eliab. He saw in Eliab what other people would see. This, surely this guy is going to be a good leader. Surely he's going to be the next king of Israel. Surely he'd be the one God would choose. But soon his, his God-trained prophetic eye penetrated the surface appearance to Eliab's interior. There he didn't see much to write home about. There was no king material within. Listen to what God says in verse 7 to Samuel. He says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The question I want to bring you today to, to wrap this up, and I'm hoping this causes deep reflection But what does God see when he looks beyond the exterior of what you project? Like, what does he see in your heart? Does he see someone that's looking for the approval of man in some way? Does he see someone who's just trying to, like, keep things together for what people see on the outside, but really things are are crumbling? Like, what what does God see when he looks beneath the the exterior of, of, of our lives? Like, what is it that he sees? This story is so deeply convicting to me because God saw something in David that was like just committed to him. Next week, we're going we're gonna to look at the story of David and Goliath, and, and, and it might be a little bit of a different take on it, but I want to read this verse to you, and we'll, we'll get into this a little bit more next week. But when, when Goliath comes, this giant Okay? And he's intimidating the armies of Israel, and everybody's shaking in their boots. Everybody's terrified. They're afraid. Listen to David's response. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Do you know what's, you know what's fascinating about David? When like, everybody else saw Goliath, and they were just terrified, the outward, like Eliab included, okay, because he was one of the soldiers in Saul's army, was just terrified. They're like, I don't want to go down and face Goliath. Goliath had put this challenge forward. He said, he said, I will face any one of your men, and if I beat him, you guys become our slaves. So all of a sudden, they're thinking about slavery back in Egypt. We were freed from that. God doesn't want us to be slaves, right? And he said, but if your guy beats me, we'll serve you. And nobody wanted that pressure. Everybody was like, what if I screw up? What if I make a mistake? And, and, and they, they were thinking about themselves, right? And, and one of the things I've said to you in this, as we jump into this series, like, this is God's story. It's not ours. We're so tempted to take the stories of Scripture and, like, fit it into our own lives in some way. But there's this grand narrative, like, God is bringing us into his story. So you know, what, you know what's profound about David's words when he looks at Goliath? He, he doesn't think about, well, what if I mess up? He goes, this guy's standing against God Almighty. David was off in the wilderness writing psalms, spending time in prayer, 
just loving on God. David was, was amazed at the beauty and the grandeur of God. We talked about it last week. He writes about the sun and he writes about creation. He was just absolutely astounded with the power, the beauty, the grandeur of God. So when he hears Goliath, the reason David's not afraid is because he's like, this isn't my battle. This guy's standing against the creator. Like, this guy's standing against the God of the, the, who commands the armies of heaven. David wasn't confident in himself. David wasn't like, oh, my slingshot powers, I'll take this guy out, no problem, right? Like, David was like, he wasn't, he wasn't wrapped up in his own story. He realized, like, this guy's defying God. He can't win. And so what does God see when he looks beneath the exterior? These stories, the way they were written, they were actually designed for you and I to see ourselves in the story. We're going to do communion in a minute, and, and Jeremy's going to encourage us to reflect um, as we take communion. But I just want you to just thoughtfully, like, God, what is it you see in me? Am I more like Eliab? Am I more like one of the older brothers? Like, do I, do I need the approval of men and women of this world? Do I need, do I need all that? Or, or like, do I, just, do I just seek after you? Because I'll tell you this, and this is something that you can bank your life on, that when you know that you're seen by God, when you know that you're His, it's going to be okay. If you spend your life trying to get human relationships all figured out and be seen by people and favored by people, like, people will let you down. I try to remind people this all the time. Like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a pastor, but don't put your faith and your hope and your trust in me. Like, you've got to look beyond me to who it is I'm pointing to. That's what we learned from this story. Like, David was like, it's not that he disrespected Samuel. He just wasn't obsessed with Samuel because he realized, like, Samuel represents God. I'd rather connect with God. That's what, I think that's what kind of what was going on in David's heart. He's like, I just, like, this God that created the sun and the moon and, and creation, like, I want, I want his favor. That's what David was after. That's what God saw. God saw someone that was after him. And David was flawed. Okay, the, the, the name of this series is, is David, flawed, human, holy God. But there was something in David where he was like, he saw beyond the people and he was like, I want, I want this connection with with God, with the Creator. God saw that. God was like, I can work with that. I can work with somebody that wants and desires me. I'm going to invite Jeremy and the, and the team to come up, and we're going to do uh, communion, and this is a perfect way. If we weren't doing communion, I'd, I'd want to bring this to, to Jesus and our faith in Him, but communion uh, does that. So I'm going to invite Jeremy to come up, and we'll celebrate communion together.